to Represented in Medicine. I am Rachel Rudin and joined by Taisha Michael. Hi, Taisha. How are you doing? I'm good, Rachel. How are you? Doing great. Very excited. I know, right? The very first episode of Represented in Medicine. I'm really glad to be here with you this afternoon. Thank you. Me too. What is your role at the University of Minnesota Medical School? Well, I am currently serving as Director of Pipeline Programs at the University of Minnesota Medical School. It is a role in the Office of Admissions that uh, manages a couple pipeline programs for those who are underrepresented, under-resourced um, in medicine. So I'm excited to be able to play a part in um, the development of students in that way. And that is Pipeline to Medical School from undergraduate. Correct. Correct mainly with undergraduate students. That's right, right. Um, and that is a bit confusing for some folks. You know, say I work at the medical school, but the students that I see most often are still undergrads um, working their way to pursue a degree in medicine, the medical degree. Well, and wonderful to have you as a resource when you're in the, when you're having someone in the medical school who's seeing things day to day and what the medical school is looking for is a huge advantage. I think that they're able to work with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I've only been in this role for a year at this point. Uh, and I transitioned to this role from a position as a pre-health advisor for another um, Big Ten university. It gives me a much broader perspective about what students or what admissions committees are looking for. And so I feel like I'm able to help support students a lot better um, because I'm talking with folks who are making those decisions on a daily basis and can help students figure out ways that to, to get the experiences that they want um, and tell their story in a way that uh, admissions committees will be able to see what strengths and skills they have when they're applying. Thank you. I, I, it should be mentioned up front. I think that Taisha and I are not doctors, but... <laughs> <laughs> we play them. We we play, we've played them on TV, absolutely, <laughs> and um, certainly seen them on TV. But you know, we're we have a great experience working with students and advising students and learning firsthand about the process. And we feel that we would like to be advocates for our students and help them be successful in getting into medical school. Absolutely. I will say that my role is the admissions coordinator for the medical school, so I do a lot of advising appointments for prospective students. And I also will do feedback appointments if ultimately students are not successful, do some information sessions and other duties as assigned, of yeah, course, yeah. by the office. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll talk a little bit about where the name comes from, why we're choosing to do this podcast, what that generated from, and what we hope to do in future episodes. Sure. So the American Association of Medical Colleges, the AAMC, um, has done a lot of research as, when it, as it relates to student demographics in, uh, in medical school and in physician practice, right? And so um, the term UIM has resulted from some of the research that they've done, and UIM stands for underrepresented in medicine. Uh, we have heard over and over again about some of the benefits of having diversity in healthcare, in medical schools specifically. And so when we see these populations or demographics that are not represented in um, in the field, um, that is, it raises an alarm, some red flags to say, well, what are we doing or not doing that allows these people to come in and make some contributions to the field. Um, and so that UIM um, is something that we are working to combat so that there are fewer UIM in various categories. And so this podcast uh, is designed to help potential students and potential physicians um, see themselves and become represented, more represented in medicine than they currently are. 
yeah, it's a way to take ownership of the, the label, the, the categorization to say, you know, what defines me is, is not that I'm underrepresented, but I have the ability to sort of flip the script on, on what this means to me and to turn underrepresented into fully represented. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there are some who see or feel, um, and I guess I will just do a little self-disclosure, right? I'm an African-American woman and, you know, coming, working, you know, my way through school and in my career, there are sometimes these labels that are placed on quote-unquote minority populations, right? They are not as smart, not as capable. We need to create special programs like pipeline programs to help these people be successful when that's not really the case. And so we're hoping that through this podcast, people can see, oh, wow, there is power in being from an underrepresented group Mm -hmm. and making a contribution where there are not as many people like myself within that group. And so that's going to be, you know, various racial and ethnic backgrounds, um, social economic groups, um, folks from various uh, sexual Id- or orientation identifications. Um, really, if you don't see yourself here today, that doesn't mean that you can't be here, right? You can be represented in medicine. And so um, together, Rachel and I will be working to help you figure out what the pathway will be so that you can get to wear that white coat someday by following some of the things that we and our guests will be sharing with you. Yes, we hope to invite physicians as guests, leaders in the medical school administration, folks in our community, in the greater Twin Cities community, Minneapolis, St. Paul, but also, I'm thinking bigger than that. Absolutely. (laughs) So, you know, I, I think it is important to talk about, sometimes it can be a hot button issue for people, especially when it centers around programs that are set up sort of, as you mentioned, in support of bringing in diversity into any sort of admission setting. And so maybe if we can briefly emphasize the importance of a diverse representation of physicians and why in a community that's important, not just for the sake of a number statistical representation, but why for the greater good down the road, having a diverse physician workforce. Sure, sure. Well, thinking specifically about healthcare, um, as you know, Rachel, and probably our, our listeners as well, health outcomes are better when you have a trusting relationship with your healthcare provider. And so um, research has shown us that when patients are treated by individuals who are familiar with their customs and cultures and their background, um, then they are going to get healthier more quickly than if it takes longer to just establish baseline trust, right? I'm going to disclose more information to you that will help you make a stronger or or, um, a more accurate diagnosis Mm -hmm. than if if um, I'm, I'm not telling you the full story about what is going on with me and my family and my home life. And so um, by allowing us to be able to, to train physicians that represent uh, really our population, we know in the United States, our population is becoming increasingly diverse. And mm-hmm. so we want to make sure that the, the physicians that we're training um, will reflect what the population looks like. If you're surrounded by people who think like you and who see the same things that you've seen, there is not a lot of room Mm -hmm. for growth 
um, and, and, and different ideas in that. And so, you know, an another way that, that this is going to be helpful for both the physicians that are being trained, but also society at large, is that as there are, um, is variation in the exchange of ideas, uh, new things can come. And you, we won't continue to do things the same old way just because that's all we know and can mm -hmm. see. But as these new perspectives come in, we'll be able to be in more innovative and, and more creative and, and providing solutions for our health care. I was thinking before we sort of started to formulate this podcast, my first uh, recent regular doctor appointment, I had just regular checkup. They asked me about 80 pre seeing the physician questions, mm, you know, a, sure. a, a nurse went through a rundown of things with me and I was even getting tripped up when we looked the same, spoke the same language. There yes. was, there was no barriers there that was preventing me from getting, you know, getting through it sure. swimmingly. Sure. But I, I just, it, I it really put into perspective adding a few more barriers onto that and it's overwhelming and scary. And so all of those things, I think, really emphasize exactly what you've said, how, how important it is to have that trust in your provider and to understand that they're taking care of you and little s small things like someone, you know, empathizing with you and relating to you and understanding your background makes a world of difference Absolutely. in those situations. Absolutely. And you know, being able to communicate with your provider without using a translator, mm -hmm. right, is mm -hmm. going to make things flow a lot more smoothly. This is someone who understands me and, and, and is going to be able to, to give me the treatment that I need so I can be whole again and, and get back to life um, in, a, in a way that's more productive. So, so yeah, uh, thank you for sharing your experience. <laughs> well, I am very excited about our upcoming episodes. We are speaking to a couple of different individuals who uh, work at the University of Minnesota specifically advising students and we're going to get into application questions in future episodes and you know how should I be preparing what sort of experiences should I be getting myself involved in and we do want to hear from you absolutely our audience so we have set up an email specifically for this podcast and we'd love to hear your questions and maybe if you have a story to share or something your own perspective to give anything and everything, how can we help you? We want to know from the listeners, and that'll be plural, plural listeners. <laughs> yes, everyone is going yes, to listen. Yes, of course. Number one on iTunes. <laughs> um, it is going, we'll, we'll take NPR and really, really, uh, really wipe the floor with them. So please email us at represent, R-E-P-R-E-S-E-N-T, at umn.edu. Send us your questions and we'll hopefully get to address those with each episode. Is there anything else you'd like to add in this little intro mini-sode? I would. Yes. So you put me on the spot. Yes, please, know, please, right? please. So I'm going to flip the microphone and, and, and give you a question that we didn't discuss previously, but um, I've had a chance to work with you for about a year and yes. I'm always impressed with the quality of work that you produce. I'm, I'm, I'm curious okay. if you are, would you share with <laughs> listeners a little bit about why you do what you do yes. and, and what, what is it about this office that gets you excited? Sure. Of course. So my background prior to being at the medical school is in undergraduate admissions. And I would work with high school students trying to get into college. I worked for a couple of different institutions. And what initially attracted me there was from college myself, I really enjoyed being that person that was in the know when others did not know what they were doing, when they were nervous, when they were anxious and and excited, all the good and the bad feelings about 
at the time, college, I just fell in love with giving presentations and counseling students. And I had been doing that for a few years and just realized that I, I wanted to do more direct advising with students. And as I mentioned, do not have a medical background, but the idea of working with students looking to do a professional program really excited me. Yeah. The opportunity came up at the medical school, and I really never thought about that as an option before, but learning about the demographic of student that you get to work with, and it's just a night and day difference. I, I, I you know, for our high school students listening, you're wonderful to work with, <laughs> and I really enjoy it, but... The more mature students that I get to work with who really appreciate your time and value your advice and they see me as an expert in this and I just really enjoy getting to see that come full circle and when you work with a student who it's a stressful process and they come to you saying I have no idea where to start or I'm I'm worried I I know it's competitive and being able to give you know sound advice to them a few action steps I'm always talking to students about, I think you're thinking months and months in advance here. Let's sure. let's go, let's backtrack a little bit just to step one, two, and three. Sure. Here's what you should be doing. It probably comes from being an anxious person myself. <laughs> <laughs> those, those who can't do, right? Like I <laughs> teach others how to not stress out so much. Right. But, if only I could take my own advice. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll get there at some point. And I think there, I think I like the part about having, you know, I think there's a good and bad about for us not Having gone to medical school, you know, obviously we don't have that firsthand knowledge, but I do think there's a there's a way to see it from a more 360 sure. level to observe it from all angles sure. to say, you know, give them a little bit more realistic sense and not have that kind of bias of of what you did going through medical school. Sure. You know, I, I don't I don't have any of that to rely on, so sure. I, I really just kind of give people the hard truth. Uh, you don't need to validate your old experience, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so I, I um, I'm really enjoying working with the students. I, yeah. I think it's a lot of fun. One of the things that I think that and I guess for me that has been it's really eye opening about transitioning to an office of admissions mm-hmm. that I, I believe that there is this myth that exists that the an office of admissions is a gatekeeper to a seat in medical school and watching your approach our associate dean Dimple patel Mm -hmm. and our um, director of admissions matthew belinsky watching the way that they interact with students um, and the uh, admissions committee Mm -hmm. has really helped me to see that these people are not here to keep you out of medical school right i think sometimes students are afraid to call to ask questions and get clarification but we are here to help Mm -hmm. right if you've done the things that you need to do, we want to see you here and right. see you um, succeed as a, a medical student. And so, um, I hope that through listening to this podcast, is you know that you that you um, potential medical students will be, be begin to see admission staff as allies mm-hmm. and not your enemy. Yes, um, as you are working towards becoming a medical student. Yes, and it's the first step in an essential quality you need as a medical student in recognizing that you can't do everything on your own. You won't get through medical school on your own. Yes. You won't be a doctor on your own. Yes. So why would you try and go through this process thinking you you shouldn't ask for any help? Yes. Use the resources that are available to you. I know for undergraduate students, likely your institution has many resources, some you may not even be aware of. But even for non-traditionally aged students who might be out of 
out of college or a few years removed or they've been in the workforce, you sort of feel like, who can I go to? And that's really, that's a demographic I really enjoy working with. Mm -hmm. You know, we love working with everybody, but especially there where I recognize they they don't have a lot of, other than the internet and all those, you know, online forums and things like that. Um, Let us help you as best we can. Another resource that I think some of our non-traditional students might not know they have access to is uh, the National Association of Health Professional Advisors, or NAAHP, N-A-A-H-P. Um, so if you are not currently an undergraduate student and don't have access to a faculty advisor or pre-health advisor on your campus, email in the NAAHP, and they can help connect you with someone who is local who might be able to help you dig in and figure out, help you develop a plan uh, to get you to medical school. Um, we've got a couple students who are going to who are in our incoming class this year who set out for quite a while and, and worked in other fields before making the decision to, you know what, I, I do want to be a physician. Let me figure out how to get there. I think the number one question I get asked in a larger group or from people who are really early starting out is what is the biggest mistake mm-hmm. that you see mm-hmm. people do during the application process? Sure. And I find that hard to answer, but I think I've narrowed down my approach. Okay. And I was wondering, though, first what yours was. Sure, sure. So one of the things that I think that trips students up is this arbitrary assessment of time and you know, if, if a student wants to become a physician and start medical school the fall semester after they graduate from undergrad, then they need to apply the summer between their junior and senior year. And so I see sometimes students will rush to submit an application junior year just to see what happens, right, is what I, the, the quote, the exact quote that I hear often. <laughs> well, I'll just apply and see what happens. Yes. When a review of their preparation makes it clear that they've got some Uh, some deficiencies that need to be addressed before they apply. And so rushing through the process does not help you as an applicant. It doesn't put you at an advantage in any way. It really is just a waste of time and money and can be frustrating um, and maybe discourage you from the path. And so um, I would encourage folks to slow down, spend some time really doing some self-reflection before hitting submit. Um, So that's one of the mistakes that I see students making quite often. That's exactly what I said. Really? Pretty much. Well, exactly as you said, where I I mentioned I do these feedback appointments. I really enjoy doing them, but I get so crushed when I hear a student say, yeah, I know I probably wasn't quite there, but I just thought I'd see how I do. Sort of a roll the dice situation. And I can't think of anyone where that works out. Where if if that's kind of how you feel going in, it likely isn't going to be the year for you. And I think you articulated it really well about this arbitrary sense of time that it's almost, I talk about how it's almost like um, a single woman approaching her 30s, or a single person, I would sure. say. Men and women both do this. Sure. A single person approaching their 30s or mid-30s and saying, you know, if I don't get, if I don't have a, a partner until I'm this age, and then I can't get married until this age, and then I won't have kids, and you start to really freak <laughs> yourself out, that they say, if I don't start medical school until this year, and then four years down the road, and then residency, and then I won't be a doctor until I'm 45, and yeah. they get nervous. But I still tell people, yeah, if that happens late 30s, early 40s, that you get out of residency, you still have a huge portion of your life that you get to be a doctor. And you didn't waste several thousand dollars junior year just to see. Yes. (laughs) So I tell folks to approach, to go through the year planning as if that's your plan, that you're going to, you know, do all the necessary steps that you're going to, 
that you would have been doing anyway, get the experiences that you need and do reflecting on your personal statement and, um, you know, start to think ahead to that application year. But as the months get closer, if you're not feeling that it's the right year, push it back another year. Absolutely. And if you set yourself up that the expectation, if that happens, is that it's not a failure, if your perspective is that's not a failure, it's just an alternative route, that makes it so much easier for yourself. I talk to people about if you set a goal and the outcome is you're either really, really happy because it worked out for you or you failed, like that, that's, that's tough to, you're not giving yourself any other, like, um, what am I trying to think of here? I'll think of the word, like a consolation. You know, you're not giving yourself any small victories in between, yeah. you know, yeah. to celebrate. Yeah. So set sort of mini goals for yourself and, and have a plan B in, in, that's prepared for you so that it was just a part of the plan all along, yes, that if yes. this wasn't the year, I'm just, you know, taking the slight right and I'm going to go that route. This is a very long game. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, what you said is you haven't given yourself any little wins. Mm-hmm. It is really important that you find some way. Okay, I took the MCAT. That's a big That's win, right? For real. That is a <laughs> right? win I have not achieved. Yeah, absolutely, right? I submitted my primary application, the AAMC, um, the MCAS application. Mm-hmm. I submitted it by July 1. That's a big win, yep. right? Yep. Um, and I'm saying July 1, even though, you know, you could submit later and still be successful, mm-hmm. but certainly encourage folks who are thinking about applying to submit as early um, to the beginning of the cycle as possible. I, I did want to counter this idea about rushing a little bit mm-hmm. um, because I sometimes we'll see the opposite happen with students they where they will drag their feet because they don't feel like they're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, a, you know, you, you, you work up to this goal to apply to medical school for a long time. And so there's a lot of anxiety that I understand it revolves around it. But mm-hmm. when we sit down and review their application and we look at all the things that they've accomplished, their GPA, the contributions that they've made to their campus and their community. And as they're telling their story, I'm like, wow, could you be my physician today? Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> because they've already done so much and they are ready. They just need the confidence to submit the application to, mm-hmm. to start the process. Uh, and so I would advise anyone who is considering applying, as Rachel said earlier, don't go through this alone. Find someone who will be honest with you yes. about your preparedness, you know, mm-hmm. the things that you've done and where you stand, how you match up or, or um, how you... Where you're at, compet- you know, competitively. Yeah. So the AAMC has a list of core competencies, yes. right? And so I would encourage folks to use that as a measuring stick, mm-hmm. right? Do you have something to say about all of the competencies that are there. And if you do, if you can tell a compelling story about all those competencies, then you're probably ready. Right. And I think you made a great point about getting someone who will sort of not bias to, doesn't know you, or maybe they do know you, but can be impartial. And, you know, the family and friends are great support systems, but I find that especially with family, if they're not in, if they're not physicians themselves, and, and that's perfectly fine, you don't need that in the family, but they don't, so many people think you have to start medical school right after, right. right after you graduate from college. And I've met several students who face those sort of external pressures of family just not understanding that that's becoming less and less the norm. And so they go to family events and it's like, well, I thought you were going to medical school and they're 24 and they're right. freaking out. Right, right. Again, when are you getting married? You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> None of us can escape. <laughs> so, uh, you know, finding a mentor or an advisor or someone who can be a good resource to you. And the final thing I would say is to try your best to not let other pre-med students freak you out. Do not let your peers tell you that you should be doing what they are doing 
or med students even telling you that you should do exactly what they did because they weren't in the room when we were reviewing and the thing that they think might have sent them over the edge might have been the thing that carried no weight at all. Absolutely. So, you know, stick to us as the experts and use the med students and the physicians for what does it mean to be in med school and what does it mean to be in physicians? Absolutely. You know, using people for the right source of knowledge. Well, I will plug once again the email. We'd love to hear from you. Represent at umn.edu. Questions, your stories, things you want to hear about for future episodes. And our next episode, we'll do one per semester, we think, is the start. So we won't be doing things weekly, but we'd still love for you to subscribe to us. And anything else to add, Taisha? No, this has been this has been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the content that comes out of this podcast. And I'm especially looking forward to seeing what our students are wanting to hear about and, and incorporating that into what it is that we're doing. So, uh, yeah, again, make sure you email us. Uh, give us some feedback about what you think represented can be or should be mm-hmm. to help you succeed as you prepare for a career in medicine. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Taisha. My pleasure. We'll see all of you next time.